Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. Can you turn that down just a, just a bit? Just a bit, right? Hey, it's good to, ha- good to have you here this morning. <laughs> Uh, we're glad that you're with us, and if you want to, if you can grab a Bible or turn to Luke chapter 9, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 this morning as uh, we continue looking at our values as a church. What does it mean for us at Bergen Park Church to be the people of God in, in this community? How do we want to live into that? What does it look like for us to do that together, and what are the values that really direct us? And over the last few weeks, Jonah looked at the last uh, two, which were transformation and revelation. I was going to say something. I don't know what I was going to say. My brain is a little little tied up right now. We had a lot of technical challenges this morning. Ever had a day where just everything started off on the wrong foot? That's kind of where things started this morning, so I'm still catching up. So forgive me if, if I'm a little behind. So yes, we're looking at our values, and uh, we started with invitation, which is God's invitation to us, that he wants us to come as we are, that as you need grace, this morning I need grace, as you need to be loved and cared for, I need to be loved and cared for, as you need truth, I need truth, and as we go out into the world. We recognize that the needs we have are the needs that people in our community and people in the world have, is we need grace and we need truth, we need the gospel. People in our community need that. And so as God has welcomed us, we want to welcome others. And then second, transformation, that transformation happens as we gaze on the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Jesus changes us. And it's through a relationship with Jesus as we get to know him and spend time with him that we are changed incrementally over time. And that happens through the Holy Spirit as he uses his word. That God uses his truth to combat the lies, the false stories that we believe, to direct us in a path that leads towards him, that leads towards truth and wisdom and direction. And so today, we're gonna take those one, two, three, first three, and wrap them up into discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple, and what is discipleship? Now, before we jump into this, here's something that hit me this week, and it's true for me, and because it's true for me, it may be true for you. We need to slow down to catch up to God. Just think about it. We need to slow down. How fast did Jesus travel? About three miles an hour. How did he transform the world? By walking three miles an hour. By seeing people. By making contact. By listening to somebody as he's walking along the way. By stopping in the marketplace. By noticing the people that are around him. By picking up on the conflicts and the challenges. Jesus transformed, realize, he transformed the world by moving three miles an hour. Why do we feel like we need to fill everything in our lives so fast? Whether it's technology or media, we just fill our lives, right? Have you ever sat in silence for just a few moments? Scared to death. 
I need some noise. I need background music. But see, we cannot be the people of God unless we're willing to start taking things out of our lives because we can't add. All this stuff, if we're adding to your life, you're just gonna get stressed out. We wanna follow Jesus. And what that means is we need to start slowing down so that we might catch up to what God is doing. And in doing that, we can join him in the work of transforming the world three miles an hour at a time. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I know all of us are busy. We have jobs, and that may seem nuts to you. But I think that's the kingdom of God. Sometimes it seems like it's upside down, but it requires us to trust him. You with me? So let's go to Luke chapter 9. I'm just giving you what God told me this week, and I needed that. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to start in verse 23 through 27 and then jump down to verse 57 through the end of chapter 9. You guys ready? I'm ready. I think I'm ready now. Okay. So Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Let's start there. The word of the Lord. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there will be some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now let's jump down to verse 57 and pick it up there. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no way, no way, no way, not no way. Nowhere, that's what it is, to lay his head. And to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that we are here, but Father, I thank you that you are here. And I thank you, Father, that you are here with us, that you long to be with us, to love us, to meet with us. And so, Father, would you teach us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is this value? What is this value we're looking at today? Here's, here's what it says. Discipleship is life in community. And it says that we are committed to growing in community as we live, love, and learn together, becoming more and more like Jesus. So we are committed to growing in community as we live, love, learn together, becoming, and here's the goal, becoming more and more like Jesus. So before we jump into what discipleship is, I think it's important to define what is a disciple. 
Because see, all of us are disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple. A disciple's not just a, a term that was given to people in the past. It's a reality for us today. And here's what a disciple is. And I think this is a helpful verse to kind of grasp what a disciple is. That Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what is Jesus' intention for us? Well, the great thing is he just wants to be with us. You notice that in the Gospels. He wants to be with you. No matter where you are, whether you're, you're the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, a man that's overwhelmed with demonic powers, he wants to be with you. And see, it's in being with you that he changes us. Through his grace, through his truth, through his love, through his patience and his care, we become more and more. Character transformation starts to become more like Jesus for the purpose of us living out the kingdom of God into the world. You cannot live the mission of Jesus if you're not with Jesus. You know, people say you, they say, here's what they say, you can only give what you, you can't give what you don't have. That's, uh, that's what they say. You knew that. But let me say this, you give what you have. And what do you have? Realize whatever you're in and whatever you have, you're giving that to the world. And when you show up angry, mad, it's coming out of what you have. And see, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to pour into us so that we can give what he has given us back into the world. And so before we jump into what discipleship is, I want to share something that's been helpful for me of what discipleship is not. And here's a picture, and, and I want you to know I did my own graphic work on this in case you're impressed. <laughs> yes, that was all me. And it's, and it's called the performance ladder. That in our culture and in our world, you are what you do. You are what you produce. You are what you have. You are what people think about you. And in our culture, we're constantly trying to achieve and to perform. Do you feel that? In the place that you live, in the place that you work, people evaluate us based on what we can produce. And if that's where we live then what we do is we find ourselves someplace on the ladder. Now, there's a lot of ladders out there. It's not just one. There's a ton of ladders. And whatever ladder is important to you, what you're going to do is you're going to find, you know, some people are doing better than you. But there's also, right, some people that are doing worse than you. And maybe when you see that there's people who are doing worse than you, you may feel a little bit better. And maybe when you see there are people who are doing better than you, uh, you may feel a little bit worse. But the reality is, in this culture, we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. She's beautiful. Am I beautiful? He's strong. Am I strong? They are smart. Am I smart? We're constantly comparing, which means sometimes we bring this attitude into the church. And we see our differences in discipleship before we see our similarities. We see what differentiates us. I am more moral. You are less moral. I know the Bible better. You know the Bible less. I love the poor more. You love the poor less. And what happens is we start to become very self-righteous. And when people come in, they feel judged. And Paul Actually, you can back up. Don't, don't let them see that yet. Bella, don't let them see it yet. Thanks, Bella. You're doing a great job. Bella's back there. I love Bella. Paul actually addresses this. 
in Galatians 5. He talks about what it means to walk in the Spirit, and then he says, let us not become conceited. And to be conceited means to have empty glory. That's the word in the Greek, kenodoxa. It means to be empty, and you're empty, so you go out in the world, right? Money, you're going to fill me up. Beauty, success, sex, fame, you're going to fill me up. And we're constantly trying to fill ourselves up. Now, in the church, we can do that with Scripture. I'm empty. Scripture's a good thing. But when Scripture becomes the goal, it redirects the course of the church. Missions is a good thing. But when missions becomes the goal, it redirects the church. And so in Galatians chapter 5, and if you go to that next slide, the Galatians slide, I want you to see what he's comparing empty glory with. And notice he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now let me ask you, what does the Spirit want? What is the Spirit saying, look at? Jesus. The Spirit of God came for one purpose, to glorify Jesus. Look at him. Look how beautiful he is. Look at his love. Look at his truth. Look at his glory. The purpose of the Spirit is to illuminate the truth through the word of God so that we might see the person of Jesus Christ. Now notice, you're either walking by the Spirit or you have an empty glory. You're filled up. You're puffed up. And when you're puffed up, what you're going to do is you're going to either provoke or you're going to envy. What's provoking? I'm looking down at you. You should get your life together. Don't you see how well the rest of us are doing over here? We're killing it. We're so moral. We vote for the right people. We live the right way. We engage the right way. Get your life together. Come on, people. What's wrong with you? Does that ever work? No. It's provoking. Because you're the glory, and you're looking it down at those that are empty, and you feel superior. Or what happens? I'm just looking up, right? I wish I could be like these people. Maybe you've walked into a church and you just felt like I don't belong. You belong. They're not that great, okay? They're just as messed up. I know them. I know them, right? And they know me. And you're looking up at people, right? And you're envying. I wish I could be like that. I wish I could accomplish that. That's not. Now you can go to that last slide, Bella. Thanks. She's doing a great job. Let's give a hand for Bella. Come on. Okay. And see, the problem is, is that we have the wrong goal. Now, the word of God is a good thing. Morality, is that a good thing? Yeah. Service, sacrifice, hospitality, generosity, prayer, a leadership role, a political cause, speaking the truth. All of these things are good things that are an outworking of following Jesus. But none of those are the goal. And when they become the goal, church gets weird. It breaks down because that's not what discipleship is about. Discipleship is not about following missions or following prayer or following morality or following a political cause. Discipleship is about following Jesus Christ. And when anything but Jesus becomes the center, we lose the entire program. The church begins to fall apart. And so what does discipleship look like? Here's a picture of what discipleship is. It's not a ladder, it's a path. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the path to life. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
See, when you're on a path, you don't notice your differences. You notice your similarities. I need the word of God. You need the word of God. Now, I may be further down the path in the word of God, but not in a sense of superiority. I still need the word of God because I'm on the path. The path is what's directing me. Missions, missions is a good thing. I need to be involved in missions. You need to be involved in missions. Now, maybe I'm further down the path in missions, but I still need to be engaged in the mission of God. It's not about higher or lower. It's about setting our eyes on Jesus and pursuing Jesus together. And on that road of discipleship, we all need the same things. And how can one Christian look down on another Christian when they need grace and you need grace and they need truth and you need truth and the only reason you've changed is the power of the Spirit and the only reason they have changed is the power of the Spirit. We're on the same path. Discipleship is about following the path. And that's where we go back to verse 23 where he says, follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must follow me. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to keep Jesus at the center, to follow him. And in the book of Acts, you'll often find that when Christianity is mentioned, it's not called the Christian church. One place in the book of Acts we're called Christians, we're often called the followers of the way. I think it's like six or seven times. Because the way defined what the early Christians are, and the way is Jesus. And so what is the goal? We set up a lot of ideas as the goal. And see, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 shows us what the goal is. And if you'll go to that slide, Bella, in verse 36, someone comes and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What's the goal of discipleship? To love God. Is that a destination? Or is that a journey? Is that a ladder? Or is that a path? And if every single one of you is called to love God, do you realize what your purpose is in this room? To help the people around you to love God and be loved by God. Do you see how we get it wrong? We take these good things that come out of loving God. Missions comes out of loving God. The word of God comes out of it. All of those things are good things. And we replace them with the purpose. We are here together to experience the love of God and then to love one another. Now, if you need to know what the love of God, what it means to love God, that's where you go to 1 John. There's a full picture for what it means to love God. But that is the mission of discipleship. Jesus Christ has come so that we together might learn to love God, to love one another. That is the goal of discipleship. And when any other goal steps into its place, everything in the church begins to break down. So... Would you go to the next slide, Bella? What do we need to walk with God? We need truth. Truth to combat the lies and the stories we believed. We obviously need the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus gives us, but we need each other. Because when you're on a path, you're on a journey with others. And there's going to be some in this room who are right there next to you, right? You're struggling with the same thing they're struggling with. And here's what you do when you come to church. You're like, me too. Me too. And there's others that are going to have testimonies. As you come to church, they're like, hey, listen, I went through this. I'm going through this. And that person says, yeah, I've been there. I've been there. And there's others that are just like, 
They're, they're just starting out. They're wide-eyed. They're interested in your life. And all of us together, when we pursue Christ, we have an opportunity to disciple one another based on just where we are in the path. And all of you have something to offer someone in this room because if you have a walk with Jesus, you can disciple others. Because that's how we disciple. Out of our walk with Jesus, we walk with others. So how would I define what it means to what discipleship is. Discipleship is learning simply to walk with God. And as a church, that's what we want to be. We want that value of come as we are so that we might be changed by God through his revelation that we might walk with God together. Now, what we're gonna do just briefly is we're gonna jump back into Luke chapter nine because in Luke nine, Jesus is unpacking what it looks like to love God. And the language is pretty strong because he's trying to get your attention. That to walk with God and to love Jesus means to love Jesus first. And we tend to not want a Lord. We want an advisor. We want a counselor. We want someone that comes along and just, Jesus, I just need a little help. Just a little bit of advice. Just come over and support me. And Jesus is like, no, if I don't only have a piece of you, I have nothing. I've got to have all of you. And in Luke chapter 9, he's showing us the fullness of what it means to walk with him. So let's jump back into Luke chapter 9. And here's the outline we're going to look at real quick, that to be a disciple means you have a new set of priorities. And with that new set of priorities comes a new identity, and out of that new identity comes a new motivation. And so he starts off, and what he's going to talk about is this new priority that God's given us. So look at verse 23. And what we see in this passage is there's going to be these three I don't know if they're real people or if it's a parable, but these three people, these three men come to Jesus and they all respond the same way in the sense that they want to follow him. So in verse 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow him. And so verse 57, let's jump back down. And so as they were going along the road, so what he's doing, verse 23 is here. And then that last section is illustrating what it means to follow him. So verse 57, and as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you. And notice he's saying, wherever you go, Jesus, because I know where you're going. James and John, remember those guys? Jesus, you are about to take charge of this place. You're going to Jerusalem. You're going to sit on the throne. You're going to tell all these guys what to do. I want to be on the left and I want to be on the right. We often assume we know where God is taking us. Now, what Jesus is going to do is going to say, listen, you have no clue, brother, where I'm going. Because where is he going? To the cross. To the cross. To follow me is the sacrifice. And as I sacrifice myself, not for my friends, but for my enemies, this is the way of Jesus. And so this guy has no clue where Jesus is going. So what does he have to do? Jesus got to get his attention. Kind of slap in the cheek. Right? Wake him up. And so notice what he says. He says in verse 58, And he said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no way, nowhere to lay his head. Now he's not saying to be a disciple means you're homeless. But he's trying to say there's going to be sacrifice. And the path I'm going to take you on, and maybe you have a testimony for this, isn't what you're going to expect. And if you let your expectations of how this should go rule things, 
You're not following me. You're following a projection of the God you want, but it's not the true God. And see, to follow Jesus means sacrifice, service. It means examining and laying down my expectations because the path of Christ may go places where you do not expect to go. Address issues in your life you do not want to address. But because God loves you, he's taking you to a place, a journey through experiences that cause you to love God more and because that, to learn how to love God, to love others well. And then that's the first person that comes along. And then we see two more, verse 59. Watch this. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first bury my father. That seems reasonable, doesn't it? And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus, what are you doing? You can't say that. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, and yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. Do you see the irony? But first, Lord, God, creator, sovereign, but first. Jesus, I know what you want, but I know better. And the illustrations he's using here, so he says, let me first say farewell. That seems reasonable to those who are at my home. What Jesus is doing is he's showing you a stark contrast. What does it look like to really surrender to him? It means that he has to be first. And there can be no but, but first. Jesus, your Lord, but first. Because when you say but first, you're saying, Jesus, but me. I need to be in charge. And he's not saying there's anything wrong with burying the dead or saying farewell, but he's saying if you're going to walk in the love of God, if you're going to walk down the path of discipleship, I have to be first because I am the way and the truth and the life and no one experiences the Father but through me. And Jesus will not allow anything in your life to be above him. And that's why God disciplines us, right? He takes us through circumstance. I didn't want to go down that path, Jesus. I didn't want to go through that. I didn't want to experience that. But you know what? As I look at it, as I've gone through that, Jesus, through that horrible storm, you became first. And I realized how important it was for me to follow you. Have you ever had that? It's my, my life, right? God in his love is constantly showing us what we need to do. We have a new set of priorities. God gives us this new set of priorities. And we see that throughout the New Testament, because he says, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And then what does he say? I'll take care of the rest. No man can serve two masters. Either he'll love one. You cannot serve both God and money. And in John 15, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. How many times does he have to remind us over and over? I've got to be first. How are you doing with that? And, and let me encourage you. It's a process. Didn't you notice? Daily. Daily. We lay down our life. We daily prioritize. We daily check in. We daily prayer. We daily go to scripture because every day I need to remind myself, Jesus, you are first. You are the Lord and the creator of the universe. I want to follow you. I've got to check in with that desire every single moment of the day. So that's the first thing he shows us. We've got to have a priority which puts Jesus first. And I want you to notice one thing, which is just, just quickly. In verse 60, did you notice it says, Jesus said to him, 
leave, leave the dead to bury their own dead. And that seems real strange because the dead, I don't know if you realize this, they're dead. They don't do a lot of burying. And realize, I always thought he was talking about someone else here. He's actually talking about me. Because see, when I don't put Jesus first, it's as if I am blind and dead. Because I don't see how important it is to put Jesus first. When I say, Jesus, I want to follow you, but my sexuality hands off. How I engage with my enemies in the world, hands off. My money, uh uh-uh. My morality at work, Jesus, hands off. And you know what he's saying? Guys, you're blind and dead. If you have seen me, and if you've seen the gospel, why would you not sell everything you have? And he's really challenged. Have you seen him? What is it that is so important that you can't trust Jesus with? And listen, if you can't trust Jesus with it, would you just tell Jesus you can't and see what he does? You know, we talked about Revelation last week. And, you know, one of the things that I've always sought to do as a pastor is wherever Scripture takes me, that's where I try to go, whether I like it or not, whether I fully understand it or not. And what I will do is I will take the Word of God and I'll go to Jesus and say, Jesus, this seems like where you're taking me. Help me. I don't understand. I don't know what this means. Church, that's what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that we have a comfortable life, that we get it all, that following Jesus just totally makes sense. If it does, you may not be following Jesus. But instead, I take the scripture and I say, Jesus, you lead me, you direct me, show me where I need to go. We need a new set of priorities. Because that new set of priorities, realize it comes out of a new identity. That through Christ, God has made us New, we're a new creation. And because of that, the Holy Spirit is now within us. And so watch what he says in verse 23, and we have a slide for this. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, again, a process daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Now, notice the word life. In Greek, there's two words for life. One is bios, which means biology, which is physical life. He's not saying lose your physical life. It's interesting. The Greek is the word psyche, from which we get the word self or psychology. He's saying you need to come up with a new way of defining yourself, which doesn't come from the world. How do we define ourselves? I mean, when you walked in here, you looked around, didn't you? And you kind of get on the ladder. How am I doing? Are these my people? Who's doing better than me? Who looks better than me? And then you go out into the world, right? And this is kind of how we do it. We constantly evaluate, I need to find a self. And where do we find a self? In what the world says we need. And Jesus is saying, you need to radically redefine how you understand who you are. That your life doesn't come from the world. It comes, it comes from me. And every culture you live in, and Evergreen is, is different than when I grew up in North Dallas or when I went to school in Waco. Waco is totally different from Evergreen. Everywhere you live, there is a culture, and that culture says this is what's important, this is what matters, and if you have this, you're now significant. And that's something you need to 
die to? And sometimes it feels like death, doesn't it? Oh, Jesus, I really need that. I really want that. I really want that car, that 401k, that job. I really want that person. I want to be in relationship with them. But you're first. Not my will, but yours be done, right? That's discipleship. That's hard. And you can't do that alone. I need people in my life that I can bring the things the world is telling me I need and say, dude, I seriously think I need this. And I am scared to death to give that up. And if they love Jesus and they love you, they're gonna love you in that moment. And they're gonna walk with you in that moment and say, hey, let's, let's look to what Jesus is saying. Let's follow Christ. Let's work this out together. I'm with you. Would you wanna be a part of a community like that? And don't you think the world would want to be a part of a community like that? When we get Jesus at the center, we realize that we have a new identity and a new status, a new direction in understanding who we are and how we're supposed to live. And then finally, so we have new priorities. We have a new identity that flows from a life in Christ. And then finally, we have a new motivation. And so what is the motivation for discipleship? You guys already know the answer. I'm just coming back to it so that we can have communion. It's love. It's love. What does Paul say when he goes out into the world? What compelled him? Anger? These people are messing up my country. What the heck is wrong with them? Hatred? What motivated Paul when he went? And listen, Paul suffered. He sat, didn't he? Shipwrecks, hardship, snake bites. I mean, nuts. I'd give up. That's not a job worth taking, Paul. Even if you got to write most of the New Testament, he suffered. He said it was the love of Christ that compelled him. And when the love of Christ compels you, you show up like Jesus, and you listen like Jesus, and you love like Jesus. And see, daily, we need to be listening to the Spirit of God. Daily, we need to be checking in through the Word of God. And we need a community of people who are going to follow Christ with us. And if we can do that together, church, it's going to be messy. But see, that's what transforms the world. But it requires us to move three miles an hour. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to give things up. We don't want to cut things out. Jesus, I want all of it, the whole world, and I want you. Church, you got to make a choice. If we want to change Evergreen, we got to move at the speed. We got to slow down to catch up with God and move at the pace that he's moving at. Are we willing to do that? And are we willing to share that together? That's, that's discipleship. Hey, we're going to share communion this morning. And if you didn't grab the elements, I want to encourage you to grab them. I don't know what this message has stirred up in you. It stirred up a lot in me this week. I'll tell you one thing that this message is stirred up that's really an issue for me is this beautiful thing right here. This amazing piece of technology, which is absolutely remarkable. If you go back 20 years, right? You remember what we used to have? This thing is amazing. But I gotta tell you, Jesus may need to say, you may need to lose your phone to find me. You may need to turn off the news to find me. What do we need to lay down so that we can truly pick 
Jesus up. As we spend this time just reflecting with the elements in front of us, would you just talk to Jesus about where you are? And would you surrender over to him those things that may be in the way? And after the service, after communion, there's gonna be those up front. And if you're burdened this morning and you don't even know what you need, you're here, but God's stirring your heart, you need to be prayed for. Those men and women are gonna be up front and you can even wait till everybody leaves and they will still be here to pray for you. And so let's spend some time with our Father in prayer. Father, awaken in us a love for you. Father, a desire, a love for you that enables us to trust. Father, that enables us to lay things down. It says, Father, I want to hear from you first. I want to listen to you first. And even if I don't fully understand, Father, I want to surrender to you as, as I walk this path of life and as I set my eyes on Jesus. Help us, Father, not just to pursue you well, but to do that well with each other. And it was on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Jesus took bread, he broke it. He gave thanks. He said, take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Let's receive it together in remembrance of him. And after supper, he took a cup. He said, this cup, it represents the new covenant, which means the relationship that is established through my blood. Let us receive it together. Please stand with us and prayer team, would you?